Change Cultivator listeners, welcome back for our final segment of our super chat with Brian Codrington as we talk about the need for you to be more of a futurist. I know that topic sounds scary in our previous episodes, which you may or may not have heard, and I would encourage you to go back to listen to them. Yeah, we talked about, you know, futurists are like weathermen. They don't have to be right all the time. Uh, Graham disavowed me of that flippant comment that I made. We also talked about making sense of the future and how any leader at any tier in an organization can actually be a better leader of change by thinking about the future with their team. Graham ended our last segment kind of giving us some really practical stuff, a TIDES, T-I-D-E-S framework to make sense of what might be happening around you or what you might produce around you and prioritize those things that might be important for you to dig into with your team to address and apply. So Graham, welcome back. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back for our third and final chat. It's great to be back, Patrick. And this is the most important piece. So as you say, if people haven't listened to the previous two, they should go back and get up to speed. But this for me is the most important part of the conversation because we can't predict the future. What we can do though is build adaptability into the DNA of our organization. And I think that one of the key ways to do that is to uh, put a futurist toolkit uh, in, in, into our team and, and into our own careers. Uh, as we develop the skills that people like me do professionally for a living, but apply those skills on a day-to-day basis uh, in our jobs and careers. And as you say, it's not a scary thing. It might sound like it, but you don't have to go back to college and get another degree to do this. You can if you want to, uh, but it's it's a small set of skills we're going to talk about now that I think will really just elevate your leadership uh, to a new level as you become a future focused leader. I love your reference to toolkit because I recently posted something on LinkedIn uh, and listeners, if you want to see some of the occasional posts that we do follow change cultivators on LinkedIn or follow myself, Patrick Fitzmaurice on LinkedIn. Um, But I recently posted up a quote, which says, you know, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything else looks like a nail. Every problem Mm -hmm. that comes up, you try to apply the hammer to the nail. So you mentioned toolkit. So you have challenged us to all be more futurist focused. You've said we have to be a futurist. You say we have to process stuff. So as I carry around my futurist toolkit bag, uh, which Graham says I have to have certain tools in it, give me the first tool that, that I need to have in there. What tool do I need to have in there so I'm actually ready? And we may be able to hit three or four or five tools, but what's the first one you would put on our list that we should have in our futurist toolkit bag? Yeah, I, I want to try and move quickly so we can give you five. Uh, Thank you. The first of those is what I call a balcony perspective. So this is language that comes from adaptive leadership, which is a formal framework of leadership, comes out of Harvard, Ron Heifetz, Professor Heifetz is probably the person to look to if you want more detail. But one of the pillars of adaptive leadership is the balcony perspective. Imagine a dance floor, people are dancing on on the dance floor, the dance is the job that has to be done, your work. If you don't take time to step off of the dance floor, climb up the steps and get on the balcony, you will never see the big picture. You won't see the whole dance floor. You'll know your part of the dance. You'll you'll dance and you can dance your part perfectly. But will you see the big picture? Will you see the strategic uh, uh, framework? Will you see the horizon? So, Patrick, these are the things we've talked about uh, already. So I don't think we we need to go into more detail, except to remind people what I ask senior executive teams to show me. 
where is the balcony in your calendar? So we all agree. I, I don't think anybody listening to this podcast would disagree with the statement that a balcony perspective is, is valuable. So my question is, well, where is it? And when I ask that of people in workshops, uh, often they'll say, well, it's when I go for a run uh, on a Saturday. Or it's when I'm lying in the bath in an evening. It's when I'm having a glass of wine at sunset. That, that, that's fine. Those are good answers. Those, are, those will probably be balcony moments. That's when your brain is freed up to, to think through a problem, come up with a solution. But my question is, if it's so important, why is it not happening during working hours? What can you do to create balcony moments with your team. Simple practical example here, uh, Patrick, is if we think reading is important, and I assume you think reading is important, I do, um, then why are we not doing reading during office hours? Why don't we have book clubs uh, where we all read a book and then spend some time, not during lunch break, as part of your job? as what your company actually pays you to do. If, if you are a company that still measures time uh, by the hour with timesheets, where's the book club time code right. that people can use to take one hour every week to get on the balcony? Love that. Love that. It's a, it's a great, it's a great challenge to any leader to say, find your moments. Google used to, uh, I don't, they may still do it. Uh, Google had certain levels of execs always dedicate 20% of their week to innovative thinking, right? It was yeah. expected that you did it. And so I, your phrase, I love even more block in times to be on the balcony and actually have that perspective in view. What's my second tool? So this will be one of the things you do on the balcony. And that is to ask better questions. Now, this might sound like, what? This doesn't feel like a serious tool. I mean, I ask questions all the time, except that most people ask what I call clarifying questions. So you'll ask questions about what needs to be done, when must it be done by, who must do it, even how must it be done are, in my opinion, clarifying questions. It's making sure you've understood the assignment. I think we need to get better as leaders at asking curiosity-led questions. These are questions that would start with why. Why must it be done? Why must I do it? Why must it be done by them? Why must we do it? Why must they do it? Um, and in fact, possibly, why must it be done at all? Um, now, I'm not saying you must become like an irritating three-year-old and just say why, why, why all the time. That's a great way to hand in your resignation. Um, but I am saying that we need to create a culture in which it is considered the correct thing. It's considered a valuable contribution to ask what would happen if, why or why not? Um, and to give yourself maybe when you're on the balcony, so maybe there's an, an hour every week where there's a space to ask the why questions in an appropriate and valuable way. But the second tool is asking what I call curiosity questions yeah. and realizing that the best leaders in the 2020s are not going to have all the answers but they might have really good questions. So good. And uh, I, I've heard tons of my own clients in my, my Caterpillar Farm Consulting firm. And it's come up more and more in the past 18 months to two years, provocations. 
uh, and the word yeah. kind of being more provocative. And what is a provocation? It just seems to organically, I don't know who started it, but it just seems to organically go across several clients. And I, I hear that in your questions. Ask provocative questions, not narrowing questions. Sometimes we get into divergent versus convergent thinking. Ask questions that expand and diverge rather than always asking clarifying questions towards your point, which is designed to narrow and really get exactly. to a point. So I love better questions and that's really critically important. Well, well the now tool? the third tool, the third tool flows beautifully out of what you've just said, because the third tool is embrace diversity. And when I say diversity, I'm not talking about diversity, equity and inclusion. I'm not talking about uh, women and culture which are the two things that we typically think about. Of course, I am talking about them, but I don't want to be limited to those. What I mean is, if you're standing on the balcony trying to see the future and see how it's different from the present, and you're asking really great questions, if you ask the same old people those questions, you'll get the same old answers. So what you need to be doing is thinking, how do I increase the diversity quotient of the people who I listen to? of the people who are heard in my team. Um, and that might include educational background. Uh, that might include age. That might include in especially experience. Yes, of course, we want to hear from somebody who's got 26 years of experience in our industry. Of course. But what about the person with 26 days experience? You don't listen to them with the same way you listen to 26 years, but you should be listening to them and you should have them in the room and you should allow them, more than allow them, you should invite them to speak. And, and so diversity is this diversity of worldviews, diversity of opinions, diversity of insights that can really bring creativity and value to the conversations you're having on the balcony. You're making me think of a, a friend of mine and a guest on the podcast a while back, Duncan Wardle, who was the VP of innovation at Disney. And his terms were, you get stuck in your river of thinking, so you're narrow your blinders, and you need to use naive experts to question your river of thinking. So I love your parallel to the way he's talking because it's very cool. Uh, fourth topic, can we get a fourth one in? Fourth topic is unlearning. Uh, now, again, this is a lovely phrase. And in fact, it's a phrase that's on my business card. I call myself a, a futurist, a speaker, and an unlearner. And unlearning is, is simply this. Learning is what we need to do every single day in this world that we live in just to survive and get through. I mean, you, you can't get through the world that we live in now without learning uh, every single day. But our problem is that we are limited by our expertise, our experience, and our education. Learning is how we evolve. Learning is how we take what we already know and advance it incrementally. But every now and again, you're going down a wrong path. And what you need to do is almost take a step back and unlearn some of your beliefs, some of your habits, some of your attitudes. If learning is how you evolve, unlearning is how you keep up as the world evolves around you. And it's about taking a step back and saying, some of my presuppositions, some of the, the ways in which I have made sense of the world in the past, those are no longer true and no longer valid. And I need to unlearn a few of my beliefs, a few of my attitudes, and relearn uh, a new path for the future. And that then leads to the fifth tool, which is experimenting. If you do everything I've said so far, 
So you get onto the balcony, ask better questions, ask different people those questions, and even be prepared to unlearn some of, of your in, in, you know, inbuilt beliefs, you still won't come up with the perfect answer. Because the world is more complex, is more ambiguous and, and, and more difficult to understand than it's ever been. You've got to, at some stage, think we can't just have another meeting about this. We can't wait until we've got a improved, you know, approved in triplicate business plan. We might just have to experiment. Not a big business project that could blow the place up if it, if it goes wrong, but a small experiment that costs very little, preferably nothing, doesn't take up a lot of time, but allows us to trial, test something, and to open up horizons and vistas that we've never been in before. And companies, probably this is the most important part of the toolkit. If you do everything else and don't experiment, you've just wasted all of your time. For me, all of the other things lead to building a culture in which you are comfortable and confident to experiment. Uh, and learn from those experiments uh, each and every day. And there, uh, there's more that we could say, but in the time we've got, there's five tools in your toolkit, Patrick. Graham, such good contents there and such good nuggets to kind of talk about, have a balcony perspective, ask better questions that broaden your perspective, embrace diversity. So you're asking the different people those questions. Uh, focus on unlearning and really be ready to experiment. So five super powerful nuggets. Uh, Graham, I want to thank you on behalf of our team and behalf of our listeners for sharing a lot of your perspectives that I think any leader in times of change, I don't care if you have a team of five or a team of thousands, you can actually apply these tips and tricks to actually be better futurist, which I've often said to people, if you're managing a team and you don't think you're an agent of change, you're wrong. You must be driving change because it's critical in this world. So Graham, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your comments. My pleasure. Thanks for the time. Whoa.